0: going
1: good thanks how's it going with you it's going
0: all right all right excited about today i am yeah who's coming in today connexion latina oh nice doing a lot of great work in the north end they are actually it's not even just the north end throughout newport county and rhode island they are doing some some great things so i'm really really happy to be um talking with rebecca gomez and yoli macias they're the founders Nice. You know, the executive director and associate director. So this is gonna be good hearing yeah. about programs and
1: I think we have a lot more Spanish people, um Spanish people, Spanish speaking people in Newport County than we think we do. You think so? I do just um from a school based program we did, we were, we were surprised at how many Spanish speaking students there were. So I'm eager to find out what we've got for Spanish speakers in Newport County.
0: That's gonna be great. Hope to get that information and so much more in this interview. Without further ado, <laughs> with us today, we have founders of Conexion Latina. We have executive director, Rebecca Gomez, and we have associate director, Yoli Macias with us. How are
2: you today? Doing great. Thank you. That's good. You. That's good. Nice to have you both with us.
3: Thank you for having us.
0: We're, we're really excited because we we know you been in the Newport area and I've been trying to make this happen and now we finally got it to happen and I can't wait to let you know all of our listeners know the great work that's being done by by Conexion Latina
2: and we appreciate you lifting us lifting us up and and trying to help us get out there
1: thank you anytime Um, could you tell us what your typical day looks like at Conexion Latina
2: Uh, A typical day. Well, there are four of us that work here full time, um, and we have a community health worker. We have a family education navigator. uh, We have Yolanda and myself, Um, and a typical day consists of some appointments um, and a lot of walk-ins. Some days there's tons. Today it's been kind of quiet, but usually starts around 10 in the morning, um, and it can go all the way until five o'clock when we close. Um, and there's lots of meetings, you know, it depends who it is. My day tends to be more meetings and, um, and conversations with people, Yoli, Marissa and Joyce, I say, are usually just putting out fires all day long. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Especially when the fire goes out. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's true.
0: Now, now to our listeners who are, um, new to Connection Latina who who are just hearing about it. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization and and the mission of the organization?
2: Sure, so we started uh, back at the very end of 2019. Um, Our goal was to kind of unite the Hispanic communities of Newport and get them speaking and supporting each other. And um, we were aware of all of the struggles that they were having with access, um, to services, access to everything pretty much um, based on language and culture, um, inequities and, and barriers. And so we decided we were going to get together and you know kind of try to fix those things slowly but surely. And then a few months later, COVID shut the city down and our community was the hardest hit because they were out of work and couldn't work from home or virtually in the jobs that they do. Um, and they were in really tough shape. So we um, got some funding uh, with the Newport Partnership of family, for Families, and we went door to door and delivered information and food resources and all kinds of things to over 200 families um, for seven weeks. Um, and from there, we found out that we kind of were able to hone in on what the issues were and what the barriers were, and they were worse than what we thought they were. Um, so we decided we needed to do more um we opened our doors in July of 2022 uh, we just celebrated our second anniversary here and have already expanded doubled our space and doubled our staff um, and what we do for the community is basically put out fires they come in with anything from immigration issues to housing issues to work issues to school issues health issues everything um, and we'll have a really hard time accessing those things as you and I would if we were sick or we needed a doctor's appointment, we would call the doctor's office and make an appointment. Um, but it's not that easy for them um, because of the language barriers and because of the culture barriers and, and confidence as well. You know, those, that's something that you have to kind of build up confidence for. So we, we do a lot of that. We, we consider ourselves kind of a conduit agency and, and we, don't, we try not to provide too many services of our own um, wherever we don't have to, um, but we try to connect people to the resources that already connect them, that already exist. Um, And we also um, try to work with those organizations to make sure that they're hispano-friendly and um, not only the language thing, but understanding the culture and making people feel comfortable.
1: What do you think the biggest barriers are? Language. The The language. The language, yeah. Yeah, the language
3: and the majority of the Um, Some of them, I'm not gonna say all of them, some of them, they don't know how to write and how to read in their own language. So it's even more.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and I think it's also, I think it's confidence too, because people oftentimes will say, you know, do you understand English or do you speak English? And many of them will say, oh, well, I understand a lot of it, but I don't speak a lot of it. Um, And I think it's more that building up that confidence to be able to actually use what they do have
0: Um, Can you describe some possible cultural differences that are being overlooked?
2: Cultural differences, I I think, you know, one big one is that, um, you know, in the United States, you go for preventative medicine, you go for a checkup every year, you go to have your teeth cleaned every year, you get if you wear glasses, you have your eyes checked, etc, etc that's not something that they typically do in their home countries, just because healthcare is so difficult to access there just for so many other reasons. Um, But it's just kind of not something that's ingrained in them as it is with us. Um, So preventative healthcare and preventative things like that are just not um, something that they do. So when emergencies come up, they're either not established with a doctor or they've got to find somebody that will treat them for whatever it is that has come up. Um, So that's a cultural difference. Um, And then understanding that uh, medicine and science isn't always their first go-to. If you get a cold, even I come into work sometimes and I have a cold and Yoli's like, oh, you gotta drink this tea and you gotta put hydrogen peroxide (laughs) up your nose. And you walk around in circles three times I'm like, what are you talking about?
3: It's just culture. I mean, your grandmas used to take care of you when you have a cold. So give you a lot of tea, so like a chamomile tea, uh, like a rosemary oil for breeding, eucalyptus, all the natural things, but
2: right. the culture. It's so those, the culture Yeah. Those are the first <laughs> things that they resort to. They don't resort to medicine and things like that first. Um, and so if they go into a doctor and all of a sudden they're given three prescriptions for antibiotics and they're probably going to go, well, yeah. So that's one of the, I think a big cultural difference.
3: Wow.
2: Does that lead to
1: any mistrust in the healthcare system?
2: Yeah. you think so? <laughs> I guess it does. I guess it does. I mean, I think there's always, I think everyone has a little bit of mistrust in science, you know, it's a big kind of leap of faith. Um, but I think for, for other cultures, more so um, cultures that are more holistic and a little bit more old fashioned, I think it's more of a leap of faith for them.
0: Wow. What do you feel now that you, you know, you're, you're settled, the organization settled, you you doubled the size, you doubled your staff what do you see now as the biggest need in the community?
3: Housing.
2: Yeah, one of the biggest things that people are struggling struggling with now is housing. Um, I think everybody in the city is struggling with that. Um, Our community from their standpoint, they just, there's nowhere for them to go. Um, If they're not fully documented, they're not gonna get into um, public housing, which there's no space anyway, but they're reliant on the private market. Um, And many of the homeowners have decided to sell or decided to go to short-term rentals um, and it's, or to, you know, upgrade and, and rent for much higher rents. Uh, So they're slowly being pushed out and we get people pretty much two or three a week that come in and say, I need to find a new place. Um, And they're starting to move. Unfortunately, they're starting to move to Middletown um, and other places, Fall River, And our service industry is going to be in big trouble, I think, pretty soon. So there isn't going to be staff to staff them.
1: What does the Spanish-speaking demographics look like in Newport County?
2: I think based on the statistics on the census, which we were part of, um, first of all, the 2020 census, I think, should be disregarded because of COVID. I think it's pretty much not valid, but um, (laughs) we worked with the city on that, and uh, I think I want to say there was like six percent hispanic reported hispanic um, i used to work at the schools and i can tell you that their self-professed um, hispanic uh, culture is 33 percent. Mm. Um, i don't know if the overall city is quite that high but we suspect that it's somewhere between four and five thousand um, people a- of various languages and cultures um, some are per- you know perfectly proficient in english but Um, and some not, but I think that people of Hispanic descent of some Hispanic descent, I would say four to 5,000.
0: Wow. (laughs) That one caught me off guard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You think you're in
1: tune with the, your community and you realize, yeah.
0: Very, very awful of what my thinking would have been. Is, is there any stigma in the, in the Hispanic community when it comes to mental health?
3: A lot of issues come through. Some of the kids are exposed to big issues when they cross the border. They came with a lot of traumas. Moms who have domestic violence that they don't know what are the rights. Yep. Um, men who's been abuse with the alcohol and drugs, and they don't know how to deal or how to ask for help. There's a lot of things about. Yeah. And, and they as, don't know how to handle
2: Yeah, and as far as getting help, there are definitely a stigma about not, not admitting that you have a problem, just like, um, you know, with everybody, I think. Um, Hispanics, particularly men, probably more so just because they're considered to be the rocks of the family. And so the rock can't be cracked, right? Um, and the other huge issue is that even if, you know, when they're ready to go look for some help, there's very, very little resources um, as far as mental health. Um, and, you know, these these their conditions get worse and worse, which I think is something that's totally preventable. Um, If there was access to mental health and it's not like people aren't trying um, to provide that help and provide those services there just aren't enough clinicians and not enough psychologists and social workers, etc, that speak Spanish. Um, and just like you were surprised at our demographic, we talk to people all over the state all the time. And they're like, what do you got like five, 600 people down there? We're like, no. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're hoping that we can raise that issue. We're already working on some partnerships with other mental health organizations throughout the state. Um, and if we can let people know that they're here, and the need is here, we're hoping that we can get more access
0: the The shortage of Spanish speaking healthcare workers how do How do you feel that affects the community?
2: Uh, tremendously. I mean, I th- they they whenever we have somebody who's in crisis or not even not in crisis just comes in. You know, we have women with postpartum depression. We have, as yoli said, kids with PTSD from their DNA, yeah, yeah um, so many things, and it's it's horrible when okay you finally have come to this realization that okay i got to do something about this um and then you go for help and there's
3: nothing, there's
2: nothing or you got to wait three months or you got to wait six months or you got to go to providence or whatever it is um in the
3: meantime something cool happens. Right? yeah when you have a teenager in a crisis you have to act like that yeah
2: exactly yeah yep
3: we
1: um, deal a lot with
3: substance misuse
1: here. Is there a big cultural difference with um, alcohol use or substances within the Spanish-speaking community?
3: I don't know. I mean, everything, it's a decision from everyone who wants to be in that area. But of course we have we have people really involved in those things
2: and those addictions
3: and those addictions and the problem is they come in from their country to here and they have they they continue to do the same because either or not they sometimes they found more easy to find the drug here mm-hmm. than in their own
2: countries i don't know why alcohol is such a big thing for them why it's such a draw to them and why it's so culturally like maybe it's because it's so so culturally accepted but alcohol seems to be you know the biggest um the biggest problem i think and i don't know if it's because they work so much and by the time they get out of work it's they're not going to go clubbing at two in the morning. Um, and so, you know, what other outlets do they have? And, and so that's just a way to kind of unwind, but it just seems to be, um, alcohol and alcoholism seems, seems to be kind of epidemic with the, with the community. Um, and it's a problem. And then we're starting to see it with the kids as well, because they're just, you know, following the rules and the, the vaping the
3: vaping, and the the vaping. vaping
2: is becoming a big problem with the teenagers too. And they're following, um, You know they're role models. They're just doing what their what their elders are doing.
1: They're watching. Yeah.
0: Do you do you think that the vaping is something to? I'm, I'm talking about vaping from the youth. Do you think this is something to become more accepted, more to to fit in, because it's not something that they're probably seeing from their from their parents. They're this is probably something that they're adapting to. Do you think that? So they're seeing
2: it awesome. from their older teen siblings. Um, there's, again, with the community that works so hard and work so much, we have a lot of kids, and I say kids, but I mean, you know, from 10 to 14 or 15 who are kind of unattended. They're, they get home from school and they're alone until parents get home from work and who knows when that's going to be. Um, or an uncle's watching them or an older sibling is watching them. Um, but they're they're much more independent and on their own, which, you know, there are good things about that but they're also kind of out and about and they're easily influenced by older kids. Um, so we have, you know, they're seeing the 17 and 18 year olds kids vaping or, or drinking or doing whatever. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, that, that's a cool guy. I'm going to do what he does. Um, but in the elementary school, we had a kid come into school and he had something like 23 vapes that he had bought off of, off of some guy on the corner. Um, And I think he just kept trying to buy them to fit in. You know, I don't think everybody knew that he had them. And so every time he had an opportunity, he bought a new one. Um, So I I don't know that what, I don't know that they know what they're getting into. I'm fairly certain they don't know what they're getting into. Right. I don't think any of us did. (laughs) No, no, it's good for you. It's way better than smoking a cigarette, right? (laughs) Are
1: there opportunities for um, Spanish speaking youth in Newport?
2: What do you mean by opportunities?
1: Are there um, any programs designed directly for them?
2: Yeah. Um, The Newport Community School is in the middle and high school, and they offer extracurricular programs like homework help or um, a myriad of different uh, programs. There's also the high school and middle school sports are available. Bike Newport has some wonderful programs for youth to come and work in the bike garage and build their own bikes. And become kind of bike advocates, um, which is a great program, um, Oh, up the NAC tech at the high school. Yep. They offer, um, you know, uh, career training at the high school level. So those kids have the opportunity to that. We don't, we find that they don't really take advantage of it so much. I'm not sure why that is. Um, And a lot of our kids, especially the older ones, come here or are here with the intention of working and making money. Um, And so many of them just kind of resort to that rather than doing extra extra kind of career building or self-building activities instead. So we're trying to change that culture a little bit.
0: So that kind of ties into my next question. Um, When it When it comes to the community, when it comes to the Spanish-speaking community, what are organizations missing to to get involvement and and to get buy-in from that community?
2: Uh, Well, obviously, the first thing is language. And the first thing we hear from everybody is like, well, yeah, we use the language line. Well, that's, that's an effort, and we really appreciate that. But it's not the same as going into an office and speaking to a person who is knowledgeable about the resources and knowledgeable about what the programs are um so that's number one I think number two is that we need to make sure that teenagers are hard to to um interest in anything right they just want to go home and play video games right. um, so I think the things that are being offered have to be culturally um culturally interesting to them you know it's Maybe it's we build an after school program around video games if that's all they want to do is play video games, but we're making sure that there's some component to it that's healthy for them and that's good for them. Um, Kids, especially Latino culture love to play soccer, um, but we don't really have too many soccer programs on the island there's the rec center which they're really not involved with. Um, And you go to like Providence there are soccer leagues on every corner. Um and even other parts of the state, but for some reason there isn't one here. And I see kids at the Martin Luther King Center playing soccer on the blacktop, which is, you know, wow. dedication <laughs> <yeah>. right there. <laughs> exactly. But they but they want to play and they live right in the neighborhood, and that's a good place for them to go. But um, you know, I wish that there was a more organized soccer league that they could play in, and and I think they'd be really good too. <laughs> wow.
1: Um so I would probably should have asked you this in, in the beginning, but um, was there something that really got you
2: um, motivated to start connecting on Latina? So here's our story. We, I worked at the elementary school for many years doing family outreach. Yoli works as the secretary for the Hispanic community at St. Joseph's church. So we know the community very well. We're very tied into them. They they came to us for everything, not only school or church related, but everything else. Do you know where I could go for this, that, or the other thing? Um, Let's see, people were coming into the school to register for school, um, and having a really hard time. The registrar didn't speak Spanish. If I was available, they would call me, but I wasn't always available. They couldn't read the form in Spanish. So they translated or in English. So they translated it to Spanish and thought that that fixed it. But guess what? That didn't fix it. Plus, it, you know it's a packet like this. Um, so we started to notice that people from the community were coming in with newly arrived folks to help them register. And we're like, oh, that's so nice. You're helping. That's really wonderful. We later find out, found out that these people who were helping were charging like $250 to do a registration form, to fill out a registration packet, um, $50 to do a notary stamp on something, whatever. It was crazy. And then a friend of ours is a teacher at the high school, and she works with the Spanish kids. And one of the kids went, had been out for about a week. Um, and went to her brought her this letter and written in english and please excuse my son he was sick with whatever and he's back now great and she said wow this is really great really well well written where did you get it how did you write it he said oh we have this really good friend of ours and he told us that um, if if we didn't write a letter saying why I was out of school that I would get reported to um, to immigration and I would probably get deported and he only charged us fifty dollars for the letter and we're like Okay, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the straw. <laughs> um, so that was really what we when we said, okay, enough. We got to do something. Yeah, so we
3: when when the kids have to cross the border, they have to fill out their verification program. That is totally uh, easy, and they provide information. They charge for do those papers like at two hundred dollars. So then the verification. Request you to buy the ticket, they charge you to buy the ticket $200. And everything that you do is just send information and buy the ticket online. They don't know how to do that, but they charge you. Right. They charge you for each person. If the people bring three kids on the border, can you imagine?
2: $600 yeah so we we started advocating it to the school department then Uh, you know the school department had been making some strides and we really started advocating heavily and saying okay this this has to end um you know they tried to put a stop to helpers coming in with people and providing translation and it's grown um substantially over the past maybe three or four years and they've really they've really done their best to step up to the plate um there's more work to be done but they've really made an effort and um I'm proud of the effort that they have made. Um, But that's it's citywide. You know, people need help all the time. And and some of them, you know, they just don't know where to go. So they go to the first person who offers to help. Um, And so that's that's what we're trying to to fix.
3: To deal (laughs) with the things that happen around the murder that we have with their couple blocks from here, the murder. family. they don't know how to handle The other person who, I mean, we've been dealing with a couple funerals, I mean, like a four.
2: Yeah, we had a few people in the community who died and the family had no idea what to do. And so we went through that whole process with them and set up funeral and shipping the body home and applying for victims compensation fund. And, you know, they don't even think, they don't even know that exists and that that they're eligible for it, so.
0: I didn't even think about that.
2: Right, yeah. Wow. Yep.
0: That's got to be taxing. I mean, wow.
2: yeah. Yoli usually handles those, and she she. I think yeah. we're going to build into our contract that she needs a couple of days off after a- every yeah. <laughs> because sure. she just I, crashes.
3: I, yeah, I mean, I cry, I cry with them and everything because it, it's it's hard. It's hard.
0: Right. You kind of take on the family.
3: Yes. At cool. the same time, after everything happens, you. You are part of the close friends. They trust you, they continue calling you with different things, minor things, of course, but after the biggest issue, you belong to your friend.
1: <laughs>
3: part of your family here.
1: You've helped them with a super important part of their life. So you've become part of their family.
0: Right.
3: Yeah.
0: How do you build that trust? with families and clients that come in like from people who've you know been being told that this is the way to do it and you got to pay $200 for this or you have to pay $50 for this and you come in and you're like we're going to do this and it's going to cost with you no truth. money how do you grab with that the
3: with the truth wow when you say the truth it is what it is
2: yeah mm. and because we were both so involved in the community for so long and so many of them knew us they already trusted us. And I think that they've, they've spread the word. Um, And whenever somebody new arrives, or they meet somebody else who needs somebody, they say, you know, go see Connection Latina, they'll help you. Um, And we don't charge for any of our services. So um, I think that that's a start to it. But I think the relationships that we had, and then the relationships that we built during COVID, I think, um, really, um, really kind of nailed it home for them and let them know that, okay, this is a safe place um, to come and we're going to do everything we can to help you. Uh, And we're going to, you know, we're going to treat you like, you know, the community members and the people that you are, rather than treating you like, you know, here comes another person who doesn't speak English. How am I supposed to help them? Um, So that's our goal.
3: Tell us a story about the guy came that he's been receiving a message from Some, I don't know who, who he has a kid and he's going to kill
2: him. Yeah, we had a guy come in um, several weeks ago. His son was coming from Guatemala and he was coming the traditional route across the border. He would go into detention once he got across. Um, And the dad started getting messages saying, I'm a lawyer for immigration and you need to send such and such amount of money to get your son out of detention. And he kept getting the emails and getting the texts. I mean, text, 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 text. And uh, finally, the guy said, okay, I'm not an immigration lawyer, but you need to send this amount of money or we're going to kill your son. Um, So they were pretending to have him, you know, as a hostage. Um,
3: But in the meantime, they don't know where is the person who brings the key. So there is a a lack of time that they are crossing the border and they don't have cell phones, they don't have nothing until the immigration get them. So that was the time when these Mm -hmm. people catch the family.
2: Right. So we um, reached out to the Guatemalan embassy in Mexico. Um, they were able to locate the kid who was in a detention center. He was not um, being held by kidnappers. Um, and I, it turns out, I think he had lost his identification or lost his wallet while he was on the way, or somebody stole it from him. I don't know. Um, and these people were pretending to know who he was and calling his father and saying, Yeah, we have him. Um, and so working with the embassy, they told us, yep, he's in detention, he's actually being sent home in two days, he should be there in four days, and they heard nothing until four days later when the kid arrived home, and it was like, ah, oh. wow. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it can be wild, and it happens more than you can imagine.
1: I bet. No. Um, so, it seems like the Spanish community, the Spanish community,
2: knows where you are, and knows Pretty how much. to get in
1: touch with you.
2: Pretty much, we are located next to Leo's Market, which is one of the only Spanish serving markets in the city. Um, and definitely the biggest and most popular, we're two doors down. And so this street at lunchtime is mobbed because the <laughs> guys that are working, coming here for lunch and all of the women picking up their kids after school or stopping there to buy stuff for dinner. So they they know we're here um, and they, you know, our phone number is kind of plastered everywhere. So. I think, and we're all over Facebook and social media, so they know how to find us.
1: And so are there resources that you have for people that um, are not Spanish speaking that would like to help? Um, Is there anything more than we can send people to you or are there things that... people should know um, employ employees employers um, and um, other organizations can, can do they ha- are there um, resources you have for those kind of places
2: we're working on a campaign right now that we're hoping to kick off in a month or two for with employers throughout the city um, and we're' We wanna educate them about our services and what we do so that when their employees have issues, they can send them to us or they can direct them to us. Um, A few months ago, maybe six months ago, we had a gentleman who was driving his, riding his bike home from work at night and got hit by a car um, and didn't know what to, he went to the hospital and then couldn't go to work for a few days, finally showed back up at work and the manager called us and she's like, he doesn't know what to do and I can't help him. Um, And so we helped him apply for financial assistance at the hospital we helped him get a new bike we hooked him up with a lawyer you know all all of these things and so we want employers to know that those services are available um, and that we're here to help you know employers want to take care of their employees right Um, Mm -hmm. but if there's a language barrier it's difficult for them so that we want them to know that we're here to help them with that and that they're not they're not solely on their own and trying to figure things out. Um, and then, so we're making a little flyer specifically for clients so that their employers, almost like an employee assistance program, um, and they can give them to their employees and post them in the restaurant and they all know okay this is where I can go if you know I get sick for a week and I can't go to work or if I break my arm and I, whatever it is. Um, so we're working on that and that'll go out to organizations as well, so that they can refer people to us.
0: So, I a question organization wise. And I, I'm 100 percent guilty of this. Trusting the first translation of any documentation you get, like any resource that I, I've got, I've received, and then I said, okay, I need this translated. And then just trust that it's in proper language when it's not. What is
2: because what, what else tip? are you gonna do? Google <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> <We will> translate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what tip would you give an organization when they're trying to be culturally sensitive and and, and have you know, their resources in both English and Spanish to make sure that the, the translation is, is really accurate. What tip would you give an organization?
2: That's hard. I mean, for, uh, the first thing that I always say to people is, that, or organizations or people who are trying to work with the Hispanic community is that their effort is so appreciated. Just the fact that you've tried to translate this document or translate this flyer and open that program up to the community is so appreciated. Um, you know people will walk up to members in the community and try to speak to them and in terrible Spanish, terrible broken (laughs) Spanish, but it's so appreciated that they're actually making the effort. Um, So I would, number one, I would say thank you for that. Um, As far as proofing, you know, Google Translate works fairly well and it it gets the message across um, with the assumption that the person who's receiving it can read. Um, But I was, there was something that was published about like seniors in high school graduating or something like that and it was clearly in google translate because it was talking about it talked it, it took out seniors and transfer translated it to elderly rather than <laughs> high school seniors um so it, you know it's unless you have a person on staff or a person that you can send things to proof you're gonna have a hard time. But I would say you run it through Google Translate and then maybe you use another Translate software. There's a bunch of them. Um, I like there's an app called Say Hi. Um, but I would run it through a couple of those translators and see if you get any differences. Um, But without having an actual person who knows what they're doing, it's hard. Even I translate things and Yoli is like, no, that's totally wrong. And I take her word for it. That's not my, you know, that's not my wheelhouse. I do my best, but, um, you know, it happens.
1: I'm always reluctant to um, try my hand, even if I know a few words. I I was brought up by a Portuguese speaking aunt. Who, um, she and her sister spoke Portuguese all the time, but um, she was sort of made fun of for speaking Portuguese when she was younger. So she didn't teach me it. So, um, but I did catch a few words and I can remember being an, at a retail establishment and saying, obrigado to someone, thinking I was just, you know, nice, thank you. As they, And they just began just speaking Portuguese to me. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I was no, no, I'm sorry. Said, that was it. That was my, yeah. you know, one one or out of ten words that i know we hear
2: that all the time
1: especially
2: (laughs) especially school teachers they come in and they're like so proud of the spanish that they've got and they'll speak to a parent and and the parent will be like oh she sees spanish and they're like (laughs) anyway This
1: has been great. I've learned so much.
0: It has. It has been wonderful. Um, Before we go, can you just give us your, and our our listeners, your um, website and how can I connect? Absolutely. Um, The
2: the best way to reach us and the best way for the community to find us is Facebook. Um, We're at Conexion Latina Newport Um, and we post opportunities there all the time. Um, We run classes. We run workshops. We connect people to other Um, events happening in the community. So that's the best place to find out what's going on in the community. Our phone number is 401-585-8165. And we are located at 170 Broadway in Newport. Our website is www.clnewport.org. And that's more built for donors and funders and people, you know, non people who are not in the community who want to know what's going on with us and know how they can help and see what's happening. Um, we use WhatsApp uh, to communicate with families. Um, so we put things on there as well. Um, but the best thing to do is check us out on Facebook or stop by and, and and just say hi and see what's going on.
0: And I definitely recommend that the community do. I mean, it's For sure. great work that you're, that you're doing. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you both. Good to see you again.
2: You're welcome. Adios. Have a good one. (laughs) Bye. You
1: too.